When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This, 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 this is, 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 Fight Disciples. Welcome to podcast episode number 832. We are the Fight Disciples. This is your MMA review from the weekend just gone. It was UFC 297 in Toronto, and there's a lot to get stuck into. Before we do so, please head to our website, fightdisciples.com, and subscribe to the podcast. However you're consuming this, if it's just audio, hit the subscribe button. You'll never miss out on any of our content, whether it be MMA or boxing. And if you're watching this, stumbled across us on YouTube, have you? Well, hit the subscribe button. You'll get a notification next time we re- release something, and there'll be something coming up this weekend because we've got some more UFC action coming your way. And there'll also uh, be a few videos popping up this week regarding the big talking points from the world of fight sports. So you can do that on our YouTube channel. Fight Disciples is what you're looking for. If you've already consumed this week's boxing program, you'll know that we went in on heavy on scoring criteria and judges. Well, guess what? The MMA show's no different, kids. That's right. Um, bit of controversy, I suppose, in the main event in Toronto. Some people seeing it one way, some people seeing it the other way. We got a split decision in the boxing. We got a split decision in the MMA world at UFC 297's main event. So we'll be getting stuck into that very, very shortly. Um, and we'll also be talking about Arnold Allen uh, and that fight as well. And a little bits of controversy in and around it. But... What a, what a weird night for Canadian fighters in uh, in Toronto. The women, the women showed up, two and all. Congratulations to the girls. But the men, all seven Canadian male fighters lost. Wow. Zero and seven on the night in Toronto. That's a, that's a stiff one. That's a tough one, man. We've we've been there in for UK shows when they've when we've had like you know seven fights and five or six of them have won. We've been blessed to be in those arenas, but imagine paying out good money as a Canadian fight fan and seeing oh for seven. Bloody hell, that's yeah. a tough night. That yeah. Neil Magny man, there'll be effigies of Neil Magny being burned across Canada right now. Mate, Jesus, I've got to be honest. I do love a buzzer beater. I do, no, I, do, I do love a buzzer beater. Yeah, yeah, that's what we live for. That's what we live for in sport, man. Is those last minute, those last second, not even last minute, those last second victories, snatching victory from the jaws of the feet moments. That's what it's all about, man. He had no right to win that fight, though. We're going to come on to that in a second, but he had yeah. no right to win that fight. He got battered for 14 and a half minutes. Yeah. Funny. Anyway. Yeah, man. Uh, main event. Yeah, exactly. Sean Strickland rocks up to Toronto. 
Says a lot of stuff. We'll get to that later. Um, walks in as the uh, middleweight champion uh, walks out defeated and Drickus Duplessis has been crowned off a split decision. 48-47 on two cards. 47-48 on the discerning card. Uh, and Drickus Duplessis is the new middleweight king. We kind of know what direction this division is now going in and we'll get to that later. But let's talk about the fights. Let's talk about the fights. Uh, you got the scorecards in front of you? Yeah, the official scorecard, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've got it. Sound, sound, sound. The only, the only change, every judge is on the exact same page. So every single judge gives round one to Strickland. Mm-hmm. Two of the judges give uh, Drick, uh, give Drickus Duplessis round number two and one to Sean okay. Strickland. Oh, wow. Okay. Round number three is a Drickus Duplessis round on all three cards. Round number four is a Drickus Duplessis car, uh, round on all three cards. And round number five is a Sean Strickland round on all cards. Okay. There you go. So only uh, the descending judge who went 47-48 in favour of Sean Strickland gave him round number two. Whereas the other two, and this is the talking point, I love this, the other two have gone Drickus Duplessis. And if you've already listened to the boxing show, apologies if you've not. We mentioned this when we're referring to Natasha Jonas and Michaela Mayer. And I suppose this is the big thing. I think most of us are in uh, agreement with all three judges giving Sean Strickland round number one. I think all of us Correct. would say that. Would you agree with that, Nicholas? Yes. Yes. Absolutely he's, he's say, yeah. Very solid, sensational jab. Pick and drick us off. Blows up that left eye. Round number one. There you go. Right. So most of us would agree that it's a 10-9 in favour of Sean Strickland round number one. Round number two determines how you see this fight for me. Round number two is that round where you're thinking, did Drickus Duplessis do better than he did in round number one in order to shorten the gap? Or did he win the round? And that is a, and that is the talking point for me because he absolutely, with the eye test, you're watching what you're watching, he absolutely does better than he does in the first five minutes. There's no doubt about that. But the gap in the first five minutes is this. Yeah. Does he do this or does he do this to take over? That's the talking point, I think, uh, of this whole fight. Round number two. I don't think he did enough. I gave that round to Sean Strickland. So, therefore, mm-hmm. I'm in agreement that the first two rounds are Sean Strickland's, three and four are Drickus Duplessis, with round number five being Sean Strickland's. I actually think round number five is a very tight round as well, but I think Sean Strickland takes number five. And I scored it in Sean Strickland's favour. How did you score it? That's interesting, because I thought, other than round two, I thought round four was closer than round five. I thought Strickland won round five quite comfortably. I think that was his best round of the fight. Since after round number one, his best round of the fight for me, Sean Strickland was absolutely the fifth round. But for me, Sean Strickland winning the first and then coming on really strong in the fifth simply wasn't enough to close out the fact that I thought Drickus won two, three, and four. In round two, yeah, you're right. Drickus does do much better. He couldn't do much worse than he did in round number one. But I thought there was a real reaction there. And for the first time, which then became the pattern of the fight in three and four as well, was that Sean Strickland was just going backwards and Drickus was just setting that pace, throwing big bombs over the top. And even though he wasn't um, maybe as accurate, Strickland's jab was the most accurate punch of the entire fight. But that's all he did. He threw a jab and a a right hand behind it throughout five rounds. Do you know what he looks like? Do you know what he looks like, Sean Strickland, right? We, me and you have both, well, our, our our kids, our kids have both got the UFC five game, yeah? 
on the on the yeah. PlayStation Five. They've both got it. Now, when I play him, Sean Strickland looks like me playing a video game. I've learned a couple. <laughs> I've learned. Jab, a couple, jab, I've, learned a, I've learned a couple of moves, right? <laughs> and the and the successful to a point, yeah. But everything else, I've no idea what I'm doing, right? And that's weird because Sean Strickland, he's an elite jujitsu guy. He knows loads of stuff. He's a very, very good mixed martial artist. But when you watch him fight, he looks like me playing a video game where it's like going jab, jab, cross, jab, jab, cross, kick, jab, jab, cross, defend. Jab, that's it. And it's just rinse, repeat consistently over and over and over again. That's, that's, I was watching the fight and I'm thinking, because I'd only just been playing the uh, computer game earlier on that day. I think this just looks like that computer game I was playing earlier on today, mate. Madness. Well, you know what? This, this is the bad thing then, because. It looked like you playing me then, because I'm more like Drickus. Just, just winging everything. I'm just like, oh, a spin and back fist. Oh, a low leg kick. Oh, a left high kick. Oh, have we done that? Bloody hell. Oh, falling into the clinch. Oh, a trip. Oh, tripped him. Took him down. What do we do on the ground? I don't know. He's got back up. Oh, shit. He's the one spinning that back fist. <laughs> I'm just one of them. Me, right, 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 all the buttons at once. And I think that's... We've seen that in round number two. It was like Drickus woke up then. It was like, I'm here to fight, man. Let's fight. And pushing Sean back was clearly the tactic because if you look at the way Sean Strickland won the title, yeah, and again, it still feels mad saying that, Izzy just went backwards and Sean just walked him down, walked him down, bum, 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 and Izzy was trying to counter him and Sean pressed and pressed and pressed and pressed, basically just drowned a very weird-looking Israel Adesanya. Hmm. In this fight, you could see Team Drickers had gone, right, that's his best, that... If you go backwards against him and let him pour all over you, you're doomed because he sets a pace and he's accurate. That jab dictates everything. What you've got to do is make him go backwards. And I think in round number two, Drickus really made Sean go backwards. And it's difficult when you're not a natural counterpuncher. Yeah. It's difficult then to, to, to time it, especially when Drickus isn't coming forward in his own jab style. When Drickus is pouring towards you, and he's throwing overhand rights. He's throwing low leg kicks. He's throwing left high kicks. He's throwing shots, falling short and spinning around with spinning back fists. And fitting takedowns. Like having a little yeah, go yeah. with a little single leg every now and again, wasn't it? It's, it's hard to time your counter, which is what mm. Sean's looking to do on the back foot when a guy's throwing fucking everything at you. So I thought that was really fascinating. And that was the first time in round two. And, okay, this was Drickus's game plan. He's in the fight now. So I did give it to Drickus. And, again, there's an element, of course, he's doing better than round number one. Absolutely. But that also included he was doing better than Sean Strickland. So I actually gave him two. And ultimately, like you, two, three, and four. I don't think there's any question there. Jickers won three. Yeah. Uh, I thought, honestly, I thought four was close. I thought four was a really entertaining round. Mate, it was just, it, I was thoroughly entertained with the whole fight. But like you've just said there, I needed to see something different at certain points in that fight from Sean Strickland. That's what champions okay. do, don't they? Champions do mix it. We, and, and this is the biggest compliment I can play to Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou is a person that is uh, that we know full well is a punch guy, yeah? He's a guy that knocks dudes out. He throws big bombs and he's used to knocking dudes out. Go and look at his fight with Cyril Gann. He's getting lit up on the feet. Cyril Gann's too quick, too sharp, and too smooth for him. What does uh, Francis Ngannou do? Right, we're going to fucking wrestle then. Francis Ngannou went to wrestling, but he's, he's holding that game out. He's, he's developed that game to a point. And ironically, Francis Ngannou is obviously in the same camp as Sean Strickland, same coaches and all that type of carry-on. So he, he he changed the fight up in rounds four and five, the championship rounds, in order to get himself the fight and over the line against Cyril Gann. We just didn't see that 
from Sean at all. We didn't see him want to engage in any real grappling or make this into some type of jiu-jitsu contest. Now, don't get me wrong. Trikas Duplessis has proven time and time again that he's a sensational jiu-jitsu practitioner. We saw him submitting all those uh, Gracie Barra uh, uh, fighters in that competition, didn't we? So we know that he can hang down there, but the it was evident from round two what the Drikus Duplessis game plan was. It was energy. It was volume. It was comfort. I'm just going to be in your face all the time, mate. I'm going to be in your face and I'm making you go that way. Okay, sound. So how do we stop me going this way? Well, okay, let's have a little bit of roll around on the floor. Let's change it. Let's see if I can take a little bit of that gas out. Because with all due respect to Drikus Duplessis, yeah, he's had his nose done. Yeah, he trains at altitude in Pretoria. Yes, he's proven now that he's done 25 minutes, but he's never done 25 minutes in a contest ever before. Mm-hmm. So let's see if we can drain that tank. Let's see what it looks like. Sean never really asked that. And yeah, all right, he put his foot down in, in round number five. It seemed it was a little bit messy. It was a bit wingy. It was a bit it was a bit desperate at the end. Let's let's be dead honest about it. But he mm-hmm. never really tried to drown Drickus at any particular point in the in that fight. And you made a point when we were talking on the on the TNT show last night when we were doing the official review for, for the broadcaster. He'll he'll look back at that and he'll kick himself because did, and uh, listen, this is not for me to ever question a fighter, but as a person that obviously commentates on this all the time, did Sean Strickland leave it all in the octagon? That's the question. Did he do everything possible to beat Drikas Duplessis? Drikas did. Exactly. I don't think the answer to that question is yes. Whereas Drikas Duplessis, after five minutes, realized what Sean Strickland is and what he does, and he and he and he put himself in uncomfortable positions consistently throughout the whole course of the fight. It might not have been pretty, might not have been amazing. It might not have been the firecracker that you all wanted to see. I personally really really enjoyed it, but from a Drikas Duplessis point of view, he put himself in an uncomfortable situation to get himself over the line and thoroughly deserves to be crowned the middleweight champion of the world. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think there's the second round, just the way Drickus stepped things up, you know, it's very risky. It's, this is not boxing where you can go, right, I'll have a round to have a look at him, and I don't think that's the case. I think he's come out and gone, oh, shit, what I was going to do yeah. isn't working because I'm yeah. eating that jab, and my eye, I'm already losing vision in my well, eye. You saw, you saw him switch to Southpaw immediately, mate. He was exactly. like, oh, shit, I'm going in the way now. Exactly. And I think in round two, he made the necessary adjustments to go, right, the way I was approaching the fight isn't working. So I'm going to go to plan B, kids. Yeah, plan B now, sound. We've got a plan B. Don't worry. Let's go to plan B. And he has success there. Sean never made those adjustments. Sean doesn't go to his plan B. Now, don't get me wrong. As you say, round two was close. And you actually went with Strickland. I went with just Yeah, yeah. So you're going into round three. And potentially there's a thought in Strickland's mind to go, Two in the bank, one to go, happy days. No reason to throw the baby out with the dishwater. And then in round three, which is Drickus' biggest round. It's bathwater, by the way. He cracks him. What did I say? Dishwater. (laughs) (laughs) No, you wash babies in a sink, don't you? Okay. Anyway, regardless. (laughs) That cut over Strickland's eye, which then impedes Strickland because it's running into his eye because you see him trying trying to clear his eye. That's his kind of like a little bit of a crisis moment. Duplessis got his in the first round. Them jabs, 
The eye starts blowing up. Your vision's impaired. Shit. And Jicka said this afterwards. I watched this post-fight interview, and he said, in round three, after they hit him, and the, I see the blood coming down Sean's face, Jicka said, in my mind, I'm th- no, I think he said to Sean, I hope, th- I hope he can't see. I hope he can't see. And he said, Sean didn't say anything, but then Sean White was wiping his eye. And Jicka said, in his mind, he went, right, that's it. We're even now. You can't see out of one eye just like me. Let's fucking go. And that was like a bit of a, like, fighters always say it's like a red, red, Red bear, red cape to a bull. So you see that bit of blood? Right, there's my target now. Keep throwing for that. Keep throwing for that. I think that lifted Drickus in round three. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereas Sean then might be like, oh, shit. There's that minute, minute of feeling sorry for yourself. You're seeing blood running everywhere. You go out to round four. Drickus keeps the momentum going. But you're right. There's no point where Sean went, this ain't working. They're stepping backwards with me Philly shell. The jab's great, but now me now I'm throwing jabs on the back foot. Yeah, there's no power there. Your power on your jab is going forward. You step into your jab, and that's what was rocking Drickus's head. But going backwards, that jab's losing some of its potency. Whereas Drickus's wild, more unorthodox approach, mixing up from head to body, was really what was doing the damage. And it wasn't till round five, where I had a four-one of Drickus at that point. You had a two-two, where I felt like Sean went. Shit, man, you can't take this away from me. And we're all in then. Yeah. You're right. I think he goes back, watches that fight back and go, shit, why didn't they do that in round four? Why didn't they do that in the championship well, round? Well, he should have, because if you remember the conversation with Eric Nixie, I mean, I thought Eric was brilliant in the corner, man. He goes he's back. He's a very, very good corner, man. He's, he's sensational. And he, he goes back and he goes, I'm not happy with that round. This is after three. I'm not happy with that round. And then he lists off all the reasons why he's not happy. He goes, you better get on that front foot and you better be doing this and you better be doing that and you better be doing this, that and the other. And I just think, like, you watch the first 30 seconds of round number four and Drickus just takes the momentum away from him straight away, just straight on him. And he can't, he just can't get the rhythm going. He just can't get it going. And then, like you said, the kitchen sink came out. And maybe round number five, Drickus's team are like going, bro, don't get stopped. You win the fight, right? Obviously, you've got to give a summit because we don't know how people are seeing this. But... You know what I mean? Let's maybe uh, there was a little, a little bit, bit more reckless. of a cautious, yeah, a little bit more of a cautious uh, element to what uh, Dricus Duplessis was doing in round number five. Um, listen, man. So you thought you thought Sean pinched it? I thought, I mean, yeah, I thought I thought he did enough in round two. Were you disappointed then when the scores were read out? Were you because ex- no. you know were, were you expecting it? Did you kind of go? I feel like Dricus might have swung this, or because obviously I think the commentary team were. Were pro Drickus and yeah, you. yeah. Uh, no, I what listen, even though I had it 2 2 going into the last, and I think Sean Strickland wins round number five, so therefore I sit at the end and I go, right, it's 48 47 Strickland, that's where I'm at. So yeah. when I hear the cards 48 47 48 47 47 48, I'm like going, well, there are thereabouts because in my head, I'd already said two's tight, man. Yeah, have this in two, I don't know how they've seen two. So I kind of knew in my head that if somebody comes out and says 49, 46, I'm not going, oh. um, the only 49, 46 possibility maybe is Drikus Duplessis. Does he take round five as well? I don't think he does though, mate. I don't think he no. does take round number five as well. No. Um, and then when I looked at the judges' scorecards in the immediacy afterwards, I thought, yeah, that's that's where I was at. That's good scoring. It's consistent. Every, every, like I, like I, I highlighted on the boxing show, we have a unified scoring criteria. Yeah. So 
I can look no at one's that. miles off here. Yeah, There's I can no look miles at that. Off and I go, right, my interpretation of what we're all looking for is this. And everybody's 95% on the same page. There might be different degrees of what we're looking at, but we're all near enough on the same page. And I think, yes, there's people that score it to Sean Strickland. And you might... The problem with this, right? And I've found this a lot. When people start talking about robberies and when people start talking about, oh, that's bullshit, he didn't win this and that and the other, nine times out of 10, the person that I then have a conversation with that is saying robbery and that's bullshit normally has a wager on the fight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. they know that there's normally a betting element to what has happened here right i bet on fights i'm not gonna lie of course i do uh, i have predictions of how certain things play out but in my professional realm i'll always give you the professional answer the right answer what i think is the right answer to how a particular yeah. fight plays out in no way shape or form is that a robbery absolutely in no way shape or form does that mean sean strickland's cooked and he's out the fucking picture now Sean Strickland's in a really, really, really strong position. Really strong position. He's had a very controversial week, no doubt about that. That brings in eyeballs, whether they're good eyeballs or bad eyeballs. Yeah. He's just been beaten in a very, very close fight with Dricus Duplessis. Well, and he's also got a win over what many would class as the best guy in this division in this era. It's mm-hmm. quite clear, given the fact that Dricus Duplessis and Israel Adesanya don't like each other, that the UFC aren't thick. They're going to go, you two, you're up next. When, you, when, you re- when you're ready, is he? Because this is the fight that we're going to make. The winner of that is probably then going to rematch with Sean Strickland yeah. because there's, there's comfortably a conversation there to go and make that happen. So at the top of this middleweight division, I think it's incredibly exciting and intriguing for the next 12 months. And you can also sprinkle in Hamzat Chimaev, what's he going to do this year? You know, right. he, he had a mad little fight with Usman. I personally thought that that fight was a draw. But does he come, who does he, does he fight Sean Strickland? Does, does he fight Israel? What does Hamzat do? Who do you put Hamzat against? Does he do Robert Whittaker? That is going to be a big, big player for the back end of this year because Hamzat will enter that title frame. He'll enter this conversation that we're talking about right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you're right. For me, there's only one fight for the champion. There's only one fight for Sean Strickland, and that's Israel Adesanya. That's the fight I want for to Drickus. see most. Sorry, for Drickus is Israel Adesanya. If Israel isn't available, if Israel isn't prepared to come back before International Fight Week, I don't really want Drickus to sit out. But then he himself said his body feels pretty bashed up. I'm not surprised. You only realise that Drickus has spent 15 years getting to this point. The release... Physically, mentally, emotionally, after finally winning that UFC belt, I think a UFC 300 turnaround would be almost impossible Hmm. because he will want to now be able to take a breath because his whole life has been built at this point. Whereas I think Sean Strickland was slightly different. Sean Strickland never expected to be UFC champion at the start of 2023. He didn't think I'm going to get a title shot. After losing to Alex Bahia and Jared Cannonier in 2022, he never started. This time last year, when he picked up that one win over uh, Imamov, he wasn't like, oh, right, here's my route to the title. He got something that was unexpected. He jumped at it and he took it with both hands. And I think he headed into this fight a little bit, Sean Strickland, about, yeah, yeah, I, I am the defending champion. But I'm I'm a little bit of an imposter. I think he had a little bit of imposter syndrome. 
Whereas Drickus will be like, I fought me balls off to get to number one. In the end, I got me chance when it was time and I won it the hard way. I don't think Drickus is going to be even thinking about fighting again anytime soon, which means that his is more likely to be later in the year. I think there'll be a massive campaign now. I haven't seen, I think he stayed in Toronto a few days. Don't be yeah. surprised if at the end of this week we see fucking hundreds of people at the airport in Pretoria when he gets back. You know, where does the sport at? I know it's massive in South Africa, massive. Where's the sport at politically in South Africa? Will there be a political campaign now? Whoever's at the political leaders to encourage the UFC to come over. You know, there's, there's, UFC have been flirting with Africa forever. Now you've got an African ticket seller born, raised, trains in Africa. It's a big thing, man. And I don't know whether I don't know whether that is more appealing even than UFC 100. For Drickus, it obviously is. For UFC, it's about the economics. Can they make it work? But I think that might fall into the hands of Izzy coming back later in the year, which then means what you do with Sean in the meantime. And I think Sean versus Chimaev. If I'm Sean Strickland, I'd be like, that gets me straight back. And with all due respect, Chimaev versus Usman. Once again, like Gilbert Baines, he was made to look incredibly human. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong, Usman's class. But Usman's also at a stage of his career. He's also a welterweight. A welterweight on his way down the mountain. Sean Strickland is a... One thing I will say, before this fight, I'm like... I kept saying to people, who have you got? Who have you got? Oh, I think Drickus, think technically he's better, and he's massive. On fight night, Strickland looked even bigger. Now, I don't know whether that's because he stands tall with that Philly shell, but his fucking back was like this. Strickland against Chemaev physically will look like a mismatch. And if I was Strickland, I'd be like, yeah, man, get out. I'll beat him. I'll beat him. And then get me a title fight end of the year with whoever wins out of Drickus versus Izzy. Yes. Ah, there you go. Up and running. South Africa, baby. I want to go. You're a fucking lunatic. Never been. No, sir. Never been. Never been to South Africa. I would love to go there. Team Drickus, man, will be sound. Team Drickus. Well, that's what you say <laughs> if you see anyone there. I'm with Drickus. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good, man. <laughs> no, listen, he absolutely d- deserves this particular moment because he keeps defying all. Uh, odds, doesn't he? You know, he, he burst into the to the UFC after doing it the hard way. Everything in South Africa, then into KSW in in Europe, and now obviously the UFC champion. He's rode to this moment as he's had to go through some top challenges to beat Brunson, who was on a, on fire, to then go and beat Whitaker in the manner that he beat Whitaker, and now obviously go and take the belt off the champion. He's and he, listen, you 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 listen to him. You interview him. You spend a little bit of time around him. He's got a he's got a bit of a vibe. It's good. It's good that there's a little bit of uh, freshness uh, to the top of the middleweight division because we've lived through the Israel Adesanya era. As I keep saying, I don't think that era is over as of yet. Drikas yeah. Duplessis now gets the opportunity to rubber stamp himself on this particular era by taking out the guy that dominated the time in a in a fight that I think transcends the sport. I hope fingers crossed. Listen, I don't think, uh, I hope, fingers crossed, that this does not, you know, go too far with, you know, we've obviously got um, a big racial undertone, especially with uh, the the history of South Africa, uh, 
with white and black people. Yeah. All those things. I mean, you can see the posters now. You can see the narratives now. You can see that the way that people on social media are going to start to play this. I really hope, you know, you've even got the 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 face-to-face between Izzy and uh, Drikus and Izzy's use of the uh, N-word uh, in that particular moment. Obviously, he's explained that, but it's still there. And from a, from a person that is not MMA or in on what that situation is, for those that observe it from the outside, you see that and you think, this is not a good look. And I really hope that this is just purely about two elite mixed martial artists doing something on a continent that has not been tapped into before for martial arts and the UFC, and we get an absolute barnstormer of a fight. I've, I hope that we don't cross into those uh, those ra- racial but, parameters. Maybe that's the conversation then. Maybe if it if it is Izzy, you do International Fight Week. If it isn't Izzy, if it's Strickland too, maybe that's more of a South Africa fight to stay away from that element of it because once something like that catches fire, yeah. it would be impossible to put it out. So maybe that that would be the way to go. But speaking about being outspoken and uh, you know and, and saying things that put the sport in a bad light, you know, Sean Strickland over the last week in in Toronto, it's just insane. And listen, I. I know it, I understand where Dana's coming from. He's saying freedom of speech, people can say what they want. Yes and no. You know, there's a certain level of respect and decorum out there and treating other people the way they deserve to be treated. And some of the shit Sean Strickland comes out with is a bit outrageous. And I think from a from a perspective of this sport still being a niche sport, and it is, MMA is still a niche sport, even though it's the powerhouse in terms of sports, in terms of pay-per-view, it's still a niche sport on a global scale. And I think having Sean Strickland conduct himself in interviews the way he does and saying things that he does, is that Neanderthal kind of attitude that a lot of people who aren't fans of the sport think that people in the sport are? And there's more, put it this way, there's far more George St. Pierre's in this sport at the highest level than it is Sean Strickland, thank God. Mm. Um, So I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing from that point of view. That Sean Strickland isn't the champion either because, uh, yeah, anyway, regardless. But the good thing is, just talk about this middleweight division. It's, it just looks completely different from where it was. You had this Adesanya era, which we loved and yeah. we were delighted to be part of. I'm still of. loving like, I'm loving like, it even like, more now that there's a question over him. Well, what I will say now is, though, is we are still in. The Adesanya era is still around, of course. Yeah, yeah, still yeah, yeah. And people are beating everybody. But I do not think Israel will repeat the kind of run of results that he has done previously. Is he capable of winning that belt back? You're fucking goddamn right he is. Is he capable of going on a three or four or five fight unbeaten run again? It looks incredibly difficult when you yeah. look at these two. Kamzat Chemaev, um... Marvin Vittori still to come back. Paolo Costa's still a threat. Rob Whitaker could still put it back together. Then you've got the next generation, the Brendan Allens of this world, yeah. the Imamovs who's bounced back, the, you know, uh, Chalbarallos of this world. You know, the, it looks very different from where it did 18 months, two years ago even. So even though I, I, I'm with you, will Izzy win the belt back? I certainly would not bet against it. And I would love to see it being an Izzy super fan. Will he go on the kind of run he's been on before? That looks like it's an impossible task. But maybe that'll keep Izzy going. 
because the motherfucker loves impossible tasks. He loves proving people wrong. The good thing is, I don't think there's any call now for Izzy to do anything else except stay at 185 the rest of his career, and let's see how far he can go. Can he get back on track, and can he dominate like he has before? That would be incredible. Yeah. Um, Raquel Pennington, hey, against uh, Mayra Bueno Silva. Listen, kids, if you've not watched UFC 297, I am not going to go and tell you, go and watch this fight because, with all due respect to it, it is it's, it's a tough watch. Pennington grits it out, she would not be denied. She loses the first round, and then after that, she uses her experience in order to navigate the remainder of the fight and win. And she's become the oldest female champion in UFC history. Congratulations to her. The first woman over 35 years of age to win a championship bout against a younger opponent. It's a 17th bantamweight fight. She had a catchweight in there as well. Listen, well done, Raquel Pennington. The odds were against you. Sometimes the stars align, don't they? You know, she wasn't even supposed to be fighting this opponent. It was supposed to be Juliana Pena but she wasn't available. Anyway, Raquel Pennington takes the vacant title. How long she holds on to it for, I do not know. But as it stands right now, as I sit here today on this Monday morning giving you this show, Raquel Pennington is the bantamweight queen of the UFC. Yeah. I feel like the women's bantamweight division, with all due respect to the women's bantamweight division, I feel like, imagine if Paris Saint-Germain left League one. Well, here's one for you, right? Here's one for you, and you might like this. Has there ever been a better time for Valentina Shevchenko to move up? Bingo. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because Does she want to go and become a two-weight world champion because the opportunity is staring you in the face. Yeah, I, I think that would be an absolutely genius move. I think the biggest threat, watching that fight at the weekend, I'm like, I think Juliana Pena beats both these girls. I think Juliana Pena is probably the champion in waiting in the wings. Yeah, probably. Um, mm. I, I'd like to see Irene Aldana get an opportunity this year just based on a Carol Rossa performance, but then she might never ever be the same fighter again. But again, I just feel like I'm, Amanda Nunes for me was so far in the head above the rest of the girls in this division that now that she's gone and retired, it feels like if Paris Saint-Germain left La Liga and suddenly you've got Lons and Toulouse and Marseille uh, fighting it out for the title. This division needs a fresh star, a fresh blood, an injection of fresh talent. And Valentina Shevchenko moving up to bantamweight, I think she wipes the floor with all these girls and, and she puts herself in the history books as a two-weight world champion. So, you know what? Until you just said it, I didn't even think about it, but you're goddamn right, son. She should move up and clean up. Bueno Silva, way too much too soon. She just got out, can't say old man, old woman. By she, looked she looked good in the first five minutes. <laughs> there you go. She looked good in the first five minutes, mate. Like me in the bedroom, son. Fantastic <laughs> in the first five minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can, all look, we can all look good in the first five minutes, kid. <laughs> it's not how you start it's how you finish baby exactly and and she finished terribly she just didn't have 25 minutes in her um, and, and that's no slight on her she's never been in championship level before and this was her first time remember fighting in front of fans on the UFC 
first title fight, first co-main event, first five rounder, first time in front of fans. Jesus yeah. Christ. She had all that adrenaline dump, which I'm guaranteed she had in that first round. She started a million miles an hour. She's throwing out ninja chokes like they're going out of fashion. And no one told her there was going to be a round two. Never mind three, four, and five. She was done at the end of round three. That's my only criticism. Raquel Pennington should have really pushed for the finish to really rubber stamp it. The fact that she didn't or couldn't, I just think that this weight class now has come dropped down a level in standards. Yeah. And that's, again, Amanda Nunes was so good. But over the history of this bantamweight division, even from the last three or four years, you know, if you'd have said to me a year or two ago, Raquel Pennington, Bueno Silva for the title, I'd have thought you were mental. Yeah. I think there's a gulf in this weight class right now. And I think Shevchenko could make it look very easy. Mm. Speaking of gas tanks, Mike Mallott, tell you, mate, we're going to have to get some of that uh, Canadian uh, petrol put back into the system, my friend, um, because he was <laughs> he was on cruise control. He was winning relatively nicely. Everything was all good. And it looked mm-hmm. like he was going to be the only Canadian male to get himself a victory. Um, Until the last 90 seconds. And then all of a sudden, his energy bar just went, Hmm. <laughs> and Neil Magny went, ah, <laughs> thanks. Here we go then. Off we go, kids. I only need to fight for 30 seconds. Bosh. Um, and he gets the job done with 15 seconds remaining on the clock. Stopping Mike Malott in that third round. I said this on TNT Sports, the amount of people that probably had a wager on Neil Magny screaming at the TV screen. Uh, Mark Goddard, stop the fight, Mark. Stop the fight now, Mark. Now, Mark. He's going to do it, Mark. Stop that fight right now. And then the minute he yeah. waved up, I'm sure that they were going absolutely wild for it. Listen, he'll learn a lot there, Mike Mullock. Of course he will. Um, he kind of shot his load in the first 10, uh, 10 minutes. And just, for me, he ran out of juice and made a mistake. That's what he, that's, that's what he ended up doing. Um, he'll kick himself because getting Neil Magny on your resume and then obviously he would have ended up with a ranking off the back of that would have been a pretty big deal. Uh, for the fella. So, you know, in this fight, right, Mike, Mike Locke comes into the fight. He's 10-1-1. One, one. All finishes. Four knockouts, six submissions. Yeah, yeah, Dominates yeah. for two minutes, for two rounds. Then in round four, deep into deep into three. round three, sorry, deep into round three. He's won the first three minutes of round three as well. He's, he's pissing this. 13 minutes in, he's bullied. He's watched the tape. Low leg kick. Boom. Mate, you don't check him out. Kick him all day. Kicks the legs from under them just like he and Gary did. Done me on work. Neil Magny, your ranking in my back pocket. Happy days. Two minutes to go in the final round. He could have just held on. Raquel Pennington was miles ahead against Bueno Silva, and she even did it in the fifth round. She got into a wicked uh, head and arm choke. All she had to do was go for it. And instead, she just clipped over both feet, stayed on top, held that position, rode out the round for the last three minutes to make sure she didn't make any mistake. She was going to be the new champion. Mike Mallott could have done the same. But Mike Mallott goes for this standing guillotine with like 90-odd seconds to go, realises his arms are burning out just as Neil Magny slams him down. And as he slams him down, his burnt out arms, he slips off, he lands on his back. Neil Magny falls into his guard. And such is the beginning of the end that eventually he's punching away an un, uh, basically a clear ground and pound. Mallott's too tight to cover himself up. He blew it. Now, my question is, with 90 seconds to go, when he could have just rolled it out, was Mike Mallott thinking, I'm 10 with 10 finishes. I don't want to lose that. 
I want the finish. I want to. I want the perfect finish rate. I want to keep my hundred percent finish rate. I'm going for this standing guillotine. Does he make a mistake because of the pressure of having this perfect record of finishes? Is that what makes him take a chance to go with the guillotine? Only Mike Malak can answer that. But had he just rolled it out and no one would have gone, oh, he's got his, his gas tank's gone in this round. He's seen the round out. Biggest win of his career. Well done. <clears throat> but he goes for that guillotine. It backfires and he's got nothing left. Hmm. I'd just be interested to know whether he was consciously going, got to finish. I need to finish. I'm a finisher. Well, it's a really interesting question. I don't, I wouldn't say that it's conscious. I think it's natural. That's the natural way that he fights, isn't it? He's, any, anybody that's watched Mike Mallott, he's constantly looking for finishes. It's like when we talk about Terence Crawford in boxing. He's won eight, nine, ten rounds. He's still looking to knock you out. He's still looking yeah. to open a moment up. He's still looking to do that. that. That's what makes him super excited. And that's what makes Mike Mallott super excited. His natural style is to try and finish somebody. And, and let's be honest, a moment, okay, it's a risky moment, but it presented itself in the third round. And he went for it. And you kind of want to celebrate that. You kind of want to celebrate the fighter that went for it, but that's good for the fans. Is it good for him as a fighter? He's going to learn. He's going to make him more conservative going forward. He's going to use his brain going forward. There's no doubt about it because that's that's the whole point of martial arts, isn't it? There, there are no losses. There's only learns and lessons along the way. He, With all due respect to Neil Magny, Yes, he's got the W there, right? But he's got away with one. That's Mike Malott's oh, yeah. mistake that has yes. given Neil Magnet the W. It's not a case of Neil Magnet outshone Mike Malott, turned it on its head, did something mad and crazy, and then ends up winning the fight. No, Mike Malott fucked up. That's it. So he'll go away. He'll sort to his team. He go fucking hell. So why didn't you? Why didn't you just? Could have been, could have been fourteen and a half minutes of dope and rope. Yeah, why don't you just what, 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 what? Neil Magny was saving himself. <laughs> Get lost. <laughs> Call me an ambulance, but not for me, motherfucker. <laughs> Mega. Can you imagine? What's the tactics? <laughs> I'm going to let him swap me for 14 and a half minutes. Eh? I'm going to let him beat me up for 14 and a half minutes. Then, then I'll have go. him. Then I'm going to have him. <laughs> All right, sound mate. Let's watch that. <laughs> What did I tell you though about Neil Magny? Win, loss, win, loss. Yes, win, loss, you did. Win, loss. Yes, you did. He yeah. was coming off a loss. He always gets a win. That's what me and Neil Magny does. So whoever fights Neil Magny next, congratulations. Yeah, you win bonus <laughs> someway. <laughs> uh, speaking of fights that I wouldn't recommend going back and watching, listen, it was a bit of a weird one. Chris Curtis and Mark Andre Barrio, nothing really to report about that. Do you want to say anything about it? I'm just, it's like, it is what it is. It kind of was a spar it's sparring session, really, wasn't it? It, it was crap, yeah. And the worst thing is, <laughs> it was crap. There you go. It was fucking the action man against the power bar, and it was absolutely crap. They should both be stripped of their nicknames. The, the scorecards say it all, though. 23027s in favor of Neil, uh, Chris Curtis, 129.28 in favor of Mark Andre Barrio. The judges, and again, they're, they're a mess, those scorecards. You're going to go, wait a minute, you used to see all that and you saw something completely different. What you there wasn't a lot to go off, to be honest with you. Yeah, It was a really rudimentary second gear fight. Again, if you are watching it back on, there's there's much better action on here. What you want to do is, if you're watching this back Monday, if you wait for the fight disciples, then you go, right, the lads are going to tell me what to watch on a Monday night when I get in from work. Sound. You want to watch Alan Evolev, fast forward Chris Curtis, stop for Magni Mallow, Fast forward Bueno Silver Pennington. 
and then dive into that main event. That's exactly what you want to do. Yeah, I'd even say for Magni Mallow, just go to round three. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that's the story of that fight. Two rounds. Yeah, Don't yeah, have yeah. a look at the last round, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which leads us on nicely to uh, Alan against uh, Evluev. I think um, I think Arnie's unlucky. I really do think he's unlucky here, mate. Um, yeah. We're going to talk controversial knees in a minute, and I know that Mark uh, Goddard's uh, tweeted about this. Mark's tweet up now, yeah. Yeah, get that up, because... Um, I didn't know. I, I put a tweet out saying I thought that those knees were legal, but the rules in Ontario are different to what we are used to. So I think that's an important point uh, to make. And uh, we kind of highlighted differences in rules as well on the boxing show, didn't we? Uh, but that aside, if we look at the actual action that plays out over 15 minutes, I look at round number one. I see Arnie come out. He's keeping that lead hand low. He's ready for them takedowns. He's popping up that jab. His feet are lovely. He's floating around. Bang, bang. Bang, bang. He's, he's looking yeah. for range. And I just think that he's doing extremely well in that first five minutes, up until the point there's a bit of grappling. Now, and I asked Bispin about this. Those mat returns. For me, take we, see, we hear it all the time in commentary, don't we? Oh, the takedown yeah. won him that round. No, that's bullshit. Stop listening to that because that's absolute nonsense. The takedown, if, if it's a power takedown, if the, you're looking for effective striking, effective grappling. Damage is what yeah. you're looking for. So therefore, a takedown, of course, can be damaging if you've been picked up above your head and slammed through the buddy mat, right? Yeah. Okay, there's something in that. But a takedown, a trip, that's a change of position. What are you Just doing like a single, with... A, a single leg where you're maneuver somebody over and they pop back up or whatever yeah, yeah there's not there's nothing in there what that's a change of position what are you doing with the change of position now there's a moment in this first five minutes where Evloev has uh, a belly to back position with uh, Arnold Allen and he's picking him up putting him it's like, referred to as Matt returns in wrestling right so there's plenty of Arnie bounces back up Matt returns bounces back up Matt returns bounces back up Matt returns now from a damaging point of view for me, there's now in that. There's nothing in that. Now, of course, you do have the other two Ds, dominance and duration, that you probably bring into that part of the conversation because Evloev is dominating that situation and he's doing it for a duration of time. But from a damaging point of view, the first criteria that you're looking for, I don't think that's damaging at all. And as I look at that first five-minute five, five minute period, people, will, I know, will come at me and say, nah, man, I don't see that. I just think the shots... The jabs, the shots to the belly. I thought there was some beautiful, like, duck down, bang, backhands to the belly from uh, from Arnold Allen. I thought he won round one. I really do. Um, Evloev takes round two. There's, I don't think there's any doubt really in that. And uh, Arnie comes on strong. Even, I know that there's a pause in the action because of the knees and all that type of stuff, but Arnie wins round number three. So for me, I had it 29-28 in Arnold Allen's favour. Am I angry? Am I mad that it's 29-28 in... Mosvar Evloev's favour? No, I'm not, because round number one is tight. It is tight, but I just think Arnold Allen did enough, mate. Yeah, that's the contentious round. I think two, quite clearly, is a, a, an Evloev round. There's a flying knee put in there towards the end, kind of to rubber stamp it. Nice big right hand as well. Um, and then in round three, I think Arnold, you know, absolutely steps it up and really gets some strong connection with some big shots, not only the knees, but, um, you know, he cuts them up and, you know, really goes for it at times. So uh, I think that's clearly an Arnold round. 
round one is the heavy debate. There was a moment in round one, I'm like, I'm like you, where he's kind of like belly to back or head to back. He's got his, his, his arms locked around Arnold's waist and Arnold can't get him off. And the, 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 that's quite a, the, quite a big duration of that round is that position. Yeah. But that's all Evil Ev's doing. He's holding Arnold around the waist with his head pressed, pressed against his back, holding that position. And whereas Arnold's looking around and, and he lands quite a few elbow strikes to the head to the point where the evil ever has to keep moving his head around to try and avoid these strikes. Now, I know throwing strikes from your back is like throwing strikes from bottom. They're never going to have the, the venom of, of throwing someone when you're walking towards them or, or facing, the, facing them. But they're still damaging strikes. They're still rattling his brain. It's not like when you're on the ground and throwing, showing, throwing shots from bottom and you don't even have to move your head because there's no mm. power there. Even when, even when he has to get his head out of the way because he's properly ringing his bell, smashing him with those elbows. Is that the most damaging part of that sequence? Because the rest of the fight, when it's standing up, it's quite even. As you say, Arnold's going to the body really well. In those heavy grappling moments, does the heavy grappling influence of Evloev and the takedowns overshadow the only damage that's caused in there, which is the damage thrown from Arnold? Or are we scoring damage as in Evloev is damaging Arnold's gas tank? Well, I would argue picking someone up and putting them down takes more energy than getting back to your feet. It's a fucking energy sapping process. So it's hard because obviously with DC on comms as well, obviously anything to do with grappling, he, he's fucking going ballistic. And he'll give you the round conclusively just for heavy grappling with him being a former Olympic wrestler. That's just the way DC sees fights. Dom, Dom Cruz is not the greatest scorer and, and viewer no, he of isn't the fight either. John Anik at all. has to correct a lot of the things that both of those yeah. guys say. I completely and utterly agree. And and sometimes when you've got two heavy grappling minds like that, I know Dom's a fantastic striker as well, but he does get very heavily involved in grappling conversations. Whereas sometimes you need a foil in there to go, wait a minute, what's he, what's he actually doing now? What's he actually scoring with here? To change a position, yes. But where's the damage? Dominance and duration, okay, sound, but where is the damage? Mm -hmm. And there was very little damage. So I think there's a real conversation to be had about round number one. Absolutely. But likewise, there's a conversation to be had about round number three. And of course, the biggest talking point of the fight, which is when Arnold's really starting to land and land consistently now. And he lands those sequence of knees to the head yeah. of Evloev yeah. as he's got him locked up in a clinch. He's throwing knees at him and Evloev's putting his hand on the ground. And that was the big talking point coming out of the fight with Mark Goddard, of course. Yeah, Mark obviously steps in uh, in order to separate this moment because it is, listen... There's big momentum there for Arnold. He's taking over the fight. I mean, we're, we're talking the potential of going on to maybe finish that moment because they are heavy, heavy knees uh, to the head of Evloev. We see that it cuts him open. But Evloev, in that moment, of, he's, he's locked up in a headlock. And at that moment, he's obviously got two feet on the floor. So that's two points of uh, contact. Uh, and the third point of contact is his left arm, I think, because his right arm is actually fighting the uh, the headlock. So yeah. his left hand is down, but it's it's not. Now, the traditional or the the official ruling, it's weight-bearing. It's got to be weight-bearing, isn't it? Look, and it's, it, it got changed to weight-bearing. It used to be three points of contact. Yes. And it's been updated, that law, to be, it's got to be a weight-bearing because people were just putting their fingers on the floor. Yes, of course. Do you know what I mean? So the argument, so the new rule, the updated rule is it's got to be weight bearing, three points of contact, weight bearing. Yes. Whereas his wasn't weight bearing. However, no. in Ontario, 
Yeah. They haven't updated that ruling. And that's what Mark Goddard was quick to say. So just quickly to, to, to read Mark's tweet. Mark, Mark Raymondi, the journalist, have posted that. It's not weight-bearing in Ontario. It's just three points. It's the old-style version of the rule. That's their rule set. And Mark Goddard would say, correct. On the ruling is deemed as fingers down, constitutes grounded. I let the first three play out. And the fourth is where I call for neutral separation and not an unfair deduction. We also did not have any, any time replay. So it's not like he could get some information to go, it was weight-bearing or it wasn't or whatever it may be. It definitely wasn't weight-bearing. And and, no. and some of them, his hand wasn't on the floor because Arnie lifted him. That's right, which you're allowed to do. Yeah. You're allowed to book someone up and fucking crack them with a knee. Of course you can. And I think that's yeah. why Mark's let it go the first couple of times. But then the fourth one, he's thought, nah, there was three points of contact when that's landed. I'm going to separate you. There is no point off because... You were booking him up, and it's it was three points of contact, but it wasn't a weight burden situation. So that I think that's I think listen, I think Mark, as Mark himself said, he's used common sense. That yeah. wasn't a deliberate foul. Arnie's using the rules that he's within his right to use. However, we're in Ontario, and the rule set is slightly different from everywhere else. It's the old fashioned rule set that we're going off. Once again, we come back full circle to yeah. One singer, one song, kids. Yeah. Everyone should be using the updated rule set. Everyone should be on the same page. Yeah, I completely agree. And when you're in the moment of a fight, fighters shouldn't be having to second guess themselves. Yeah. We should be in the moment of what's natural to you. What do you know? What have you trained? What have you worked towards? What are you what have you what has your whole career been about? Okay, there are rules changes within all sports as we're experiencing in football, you know, but in fight sports, especially when you've got a different rule, just because you're on different soil, fighters shouldn't have to think like that. Listen, in the moment, I thought it was harsh. Having learnt and educated myself in the 24 hours, 36 hours since, Mark God, I gets it absolutely right. It doesn't surprise me that he's got it right. It bugs me that he's, he's got it right, right? Because I know that he'll be listening to the show going, right, What's Ketterall going to say today, right? That's what, he, that's, what he's, that's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be listening out for my uh, interpretation of what he did. And he got it right. He, uh, he dealt with it, like you've just said, with an incredible amount of uh, common sense. It's just a shame because if that fight takes place in Boston, you know, just down the road or in Buffalo, just down the road, it's a different rule set. And therefore, the Arnold, Al out. And the and Arnold was... Allen can keep that position. And you never know what happens, man. Does he finish well, it from that from I was going to say, in the entire 15-minute duration of that fight, that was the most damage caused by either fighter in the fight. Those knees obviously busted him up. There was blood everywhere from, from that. Evelowev was bleeding. He was in distress at that point. And could Arnold have pushed forward? On the scorecards, it ultimately made no change. I think all the judges, I'm guessing, gave... That was the round they give to Arnold anyway. So yeah. I think on the distance, it wouldn't have made any difference. But no. in that moment, Ibloev was in distress. He was in a bad spot. And Arnold could could have capitalised. But the good thing is, and the, and the commentary team, I will praise them in that regard. And the afterwards were like, well, Arnold Allen doesn't... He's lost a really close fight with another really high-level operator. His stock hasn't dropped whatsoever. Okay, he might go down one spot in the rankings and Ibloev might jump up and go above him. But he's right there still in the mix, Arnold Allen. And I'd look, you know what? Maybe down the line we'll see that fight again. Maybe we might even see it over five rounds. It's frustrating because it's evident now that Max is going up to take on Gaethje at 155. Yeah. So there's a gap. Open. 
there's a gap at the top of the 145ers. You know, we've got a title fight coming up next month. Tapuria is a live dog in that. He, there might be a changing of the guard. Wouldn't be, yeah. listen, wouldn't be surprising if Volkanovski holds his title, but there might be a changing of the guard. And if there is a change in the guard, then all the fresh meat, all the new talent, all the old talent as well, i.e. Max Holloway, would have been in line for shots at a, at a, at a title. With Max leaving, you know, he's opened the door. The division's yeah. wide open. And I think a win for Arnold Allen against Devloev in that situation would have set up a Britain versus Spain showdown. Uh, at, uh, at some point later on this year. Not to be, but it's definitely not over. There's plenty uh, plenty more to come from Arnold Allen. Just a, dis- a disappointment for him on the night, uh, but a great fight. I know that uh, Dana went in on it at the end, saying, ah, I thought it was a fantastic fight. Really technical. Okay, we didn't get rock'em, sock'em robots, but it was technical. There was lots of questions asked. Some of those roles to get out of those positions were just like, what the fuck is going on? I speak about frogs in a blender all the time. That were like two wasps around a warm pint jar, jar you know what I mean, on a, on a warm summer's day. Mate, great. And I'd love to see it again, like you say, over five rounds. Yeah. Um, final point for me on this, on, on this show. Sam Patterson, man. Listen. That takes some serious mental fortitude, does that? After getting starched by Ash Moose at UFC London, just being in a changing room again, being on a ring walk again, coming out in front of 20,000 people again, that's a scary proposition. The last time you did that, you got iced. And it takes some serious mental fortitude just to make the ring walk. So I commend him for that. But then to go and make the ring walk, to get in there and to stick to your game. Yeah, okay. It gets a little bit leery at times, doesn't it, when they're all throwing hands and his chin's up in the sky and you think he's so fucking hell. But when he turned that into a jiu-jitsu game, there was only one winner. And uh, I'm delighted that he's up and running now. We're up. There you go, son. First round finish in the UFC. Uh, We will hopefully see you in the middle of the year back on British soil. Why not, eh? Absolutely. Fucking tremendous. Good for him. Um... Yeah, I've got no more to add to that. That was mega. What I will say is that, um, just just finishing point on that, um, another fight off the prelims. Don't go and watch it. I'm not saying go and watch it, but Ramon Tavares beat uh, Seri Sidai or Sidi. Um, Are you going to talk Tavares? judging? No, I'm not going to talk judging. All this right, was a okay. rematch as well. They they fought each other on Dana White's Contender Series, yeah. and that was a, a split decision. Now they've rematched each other on their UFC debuts. And that was a split decision as well. But it should never have been a split decision. And I'll tell you why. Because Ramon Tavares weighed in 140 pounds. Oh, yeah. For a 135 pound matchup. Now, Mm -hmm. he's within his rights to weigh in at 136 because you get the one pound allowance. He weighed in a far short of 140 pounds. 139.75 he weighed in. That is an absolute disgrace. Now, he was taking 30% of his... Malcolm Gordon also missed weight on this card. He missed it by two pounds, I think it was, and he lost 20% of his purse. He weighed in at 127.5 instead of 126, so 1.5 pound over. That is missing weight. Ramon Tavares failed to make weight. Best part of five pound over the championship weight. That's fucking outrageous. To give his opponent 30% is not enough because he got his arm raised. He got a win here in a split decision. Now, had the fight started with him being Dr. Points, which is something we have spoke about endlessly on here and we are big advocates of and we wish the UFC would listen. Had he started the point down, he'd have lost that fight. 
And that's the way the UFC have to move forward. We've got to get a grip of this. You've got two guys here that faced each other on Dana White's contender series, ended in a split decision. Loads of chat about it, right? We'll rematch it then. We'll do it on the proper show. We got, you're going to get each other on a rematch on a big show. And it's another split decision. But one guy weighs best part of five pound overweight. Come on, man. This is bullshit. You can see what he's done. He's chosen not to make weight, but an advantage. And he's won from it. His arm's been raised. He's got a win. The other guy's got a loss on his record in the UFC. It's not good enough. 30% is not good enough. Especially when you're making your debut. With all due respect, what were these guys on? 16 and 16. To fast, man. We need to get a grip of these people deliberately failing to make weight. And this guy failed to make weight. He should have been Dr. Point. I feel for Sidai. He should, he should, or Sidi. Bullshit, man. Um, this week, uh, we've got more action coming up for you this weekend. Make sure you tune into us on Thursday. We will bring you a preview show. And if there's some big stories, uh, we are told. There will be some UFC 300 news this week. I'd say, hey, I'll tell you what, very giggle, right? They um, obviously Dan has done a couple of interviews, hasn't he? While he's been out in uh, in Toronto, he's yeah. been asked the question about Leon Edwards, uh, Bilal Muhammad, and he's he's said, and it's on the TNT Sports uh, Instagram. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping to be announcing that fight next week, as in this week, of of, uh, uh, of which we are in right now. So. Dana said that he hopes to be announcing Leon Edwards, Bilal Mohammed, and where that fight drops this yep. week. Gets on the text straight away, doesn't I? I said, right, am I booking a plane ticket then to come and watch you uh, get this uh, GSP record? And he went, I don't know anything about it, bruv. <laughs> I haven't had the call as of yet. This is the beautiful thing about UFC. Dana just does what he wants, doesn't he? You're doing it. This is how we're doing it, and this is how we're rolling. The hot rumor is is that Leon Edwards and uh, Bilal Mohammed uh, may drop on UFC 300, and I fully anticipate that we will get at least one. If that is, I don't think it'll be the main event. I think there'll be one more. I genuinely believe that. I think we're, we're going to see at least two more title fights drop on the UFC 300 card, one of which I think might be Leon Edwards against uh, Bilal Mohammed. Um, so I expect that this week, mate. What are you grinning at? The only other option, I think, is Pahaya. Again, I'll just go back to what I said at the top of the show. I don't think Drickus is going to be able no, to No, I don't around. think so either. I think they'll have the conversation. They'll, they'll ask the questions, but I don't know if uh, health-wise they'll be able to do it. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see where Jamal Hill's at uh, and whether he can turn that around for uh, for Pahaya. Uh But as, uh, as Dana said, listen, Tom Aspinall's ready to fight. If Alex Pereira wants to have a go at heavyweight, go on, lad. Let's go and have a crack, eh? Let's go and have some fun. I think uh, you're right. He did say that, but he did all. He did say uh, he's ready to go, but he said no chances for him moving up. He said it is, he says he's not a fan of it. But how many times has he said he's not a fan of something? And then it materializes, man. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, just that's Ronda. Yeah, we will see. We will see. Mm -hmm. Anyway, there you go. That's today's show. Uh, there'll be another, there'll be more stuff coming this week. And the point of me saying that is that I want you to subscribe to our channel. So you can do it via our website, fightdisciples.com. All the audio feeds are there for you. And we're also on YouTube. Fight Disciples is what you are looking for. Get stuck into the conversation about the men event at UFC 297. Some people think Strickland. Some people think Drinkers Duplessis. How do you think that all played out? Who was your winner? Who do you want to see next? Is it Israel Adesanya? Do you want to see an immediate rematch? Listen, man, let's start that conversation. What about Valentina Shevchenko going up to Bantamweight and challenging uh, Rocky Raquel Pennington? 
Yeah? You up for that? Get involved with the pro. Get involved with the program. Get involved with the comments and let's have a little bit of fun. This is your show as much as it is ours. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.